Well, hello there. Good morning. Welcome back to Driving Theology. Whoa, that's loud. Hold on a minute. What was uncalled for? <laughs> uh, yeah, so my name's Mike, and this is my uh, usually weekly podcast uh, about all kinds of stuff, uh, but usually that ends up in a theological direction. Maybe you guys know this, maybe you don't, but I'm <clears throat> I am doing this from Japan. I live in Japan. I've lived here for uh, 28 years, 28 years, yeah, 28, going on 29, I think. I think I'm in my 28th year. So I came here beginning in 95. Yeah, so we're about to go into 2024. I think that makes it 29 years. So I have been here. Some people might say a good while. Uh, Here in Japan. And uh, what I've mostly done since I've been here... uh, really three three areas, three things. I've been an English teacher. I mean, as far as a job. Uh, I've been an English teacher pretty much the whole time. <laughs> the whole time. Uh, and I've been a semi-professional musician the whole time, more or less. I think I got my first gig going after about being here, having been here about a year, maybe. Uh... And for quite a while, uh, I've been involved with uh, followers of Jesus in some way, shape, or form. My goodness, why is this so slow? Somebody here is just... Get on my last nerve. I'm going to try to go around them. Uh, And I've been a... In churches, I've been both just a member and then a lay leader and worship leader. I've done preaching. I've done teaching. Uh, But for the last 10 years now, yeah, 10 years this month. Wow. 10 years this month. Uh, For the last 10 years, I've not been involved in institutional church, but involved in more... uh, smaller informal gatherings of people who believe in Jesus or who are wanting to know more about Jesus and things like that. And we did that for, I guess, seven or eight years until COVID hit. And since COVID, it's been a lot more sparse. Uh, The one thing that has remained constant is this podcast for me. This is something I've, I've done consistently since... I want to say fall of 2015. So actually, this is also the same month. So this is eight years, I think, of this podcast. Uh, This month, or last month, October. Either October or November. I think it was November, yeah. It was November. End of October, November. Anyway, so I have been doing this podcast for eight years on a fairly consistent basis. I think I get up probably maybe close to 40 
episodes a year, something like that. So I'm sitting on, yeah, I'm sitting on 300. So I would say I get, uh, if I'm on 300 and it's been 40 times 8, that would be 400 uh, had I gotten 40. So I'd say between 30 and 40 is what I usually, uh, number of episodes I'll do in a year. Uh, I do miss blocks of time simply because I don't have this trip. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I appreciate, appreciate you guys listening in and dealing with all of my idiosyncrasies and, uh, you know, things like road noise and, and uh, as well as, uh, you know, things that happen in traffic as I'm driving and then my, the fact that I'm not looking at a script or really have anything specific in mind. One thing I will say is there, you know, the, the life of an expat um, is interesting uh, for a lot of reasons. There, there are a lot of things that happen um, that I, I would consider, you know, positive. There are positive aspects of being uh, a, a citizen who lives outside of his or her or their own country. Um, but there are a lot of negatives, and one of the, one of those negatives happened this week when my mom came down sick and had to be taken to the hospital. Of course, it's nearly impossible for me to be there. Uh, it would be impossible for me to get there any quicker than 24 hours, but uh, I'm very thankful for my siblings who all live uh, fairly close and they're taking care of mom. She's, I think she's come down with COVID. Um, she hasn't had in a while, which is good. But she's about 78 years old. And, it, you know, at that age, um, this stuff can be kind of serious. So she is in the hospital right now. I uh, haven't had any new news about her in about 24 hours, so that's good. I hope it's good. <laughs> uh, I hope it's good. Let's see. I figured as much. Whatever, Siri. Whatever. Whatever. Wow, I have like no signal here. That's weird. Uh, all right. So, things I want to talk about today. Um. You know, the thing that this, really, if you could put one word into this pod, you know, that describe this podcast, you know, besides theology or something, I would say it would be deconstructionism. Um, this somewhat new idea of how people are dealing with um, faith crises. Um, and one of the ways is deconstructionism. And basically what happens is people, people have questions about what they've been taught and what they've been learning all these years, uh, what they've been told is true. And then questions arise and generally, generally people are told not to question, right? That your questions are a sin that having any kind of doubt is a sin. And of course, they, they point to doubting Thomas who doubted that Jesus had come back from the dead and 
and and basically doubt is a threat to the status quo and status quo religion is replete with flaws and it has a lot of blood on its hands um, both literal and, and figuratively literally and figuratively uh, <clears throat> but deconstructionism is people asking those questions saying no I'm gonna I'm gonna ask these questions you know uh, why is it uh, that this and that and the other must happen uh, when I when what I know about Jesus uh, seems to be telling me a, an opposite story of what I see happening in evangelical religion today and I I, I choose evangelicalism because that is the probably the prevalent Christian um, circles that I've run in here in Japan uh, in the last uh, almost 29 years, 28 plus years. Uh, evangelicalism is a a big machine, and there are many moving parts. Uh, but there are some some core tenets um, that are meant to squash questions, are meant to maintain the status quo. And one of those uh, is the infallible nature of Scripture. Uh, if you if you go back to the creeds, uh, one of the creeds, and certainly the evangelical creed, is that. Uh, the Bible is inerrant. It doesn't. It doesn't contain any errors in what it says. Uh, and then, and then the other, the flip side of that. The the reason for that is that the Bible is, uh, as talked about in I think it's Second Timothy three sixteen, the Bible is inspired by God. It's God breathed. It's breathed by God. And and once. Once you go there, right? Once you decide to entertain the idea that the Bible is perfect, that the Bible contains no errors, that everything the Bible says uh, is true uh, and not to be questioned, well, then you have a tool that can be used um, to control people quite, quite easily. And the reason is those people that make the make the creeds are also in charge of the lessons that are taught from week to week uh, in churches, right? Uh, the things that they want people to know. And one of the things that's taught quite often is on giving, right? They want people to give a lot of their money to the church. It's very important. Um, they believe that giving your, your money to the church uh, is part of the plan of salvation, really. That's how it seems to work out. Uh, and and all of this obviously is a million miles away from a man who really had no possessions but the clothes on his back and the shoes on his feet who walked around uh, in the desert in small towns for the most part healing people coming near to people who were uh, pushed out from society, who were ostracized, 
uh, teaching the way of love and acceptance and grace and forgiveness and mercy. Mercy. Um, so, yeah, in, in a lot of ways, what has become of religion is just a million miles away from the person supposedly who instituted, instituted that religion, um, Jesus himself. And so once, once people meet Jesus, and I think, I think there's, you know, some mystical things at work there. I, I think there is a, there is an actual meeting of Jesus that happens quite often. And once that happens, once you meet Jesus, uh, it, it then becomes quite, um, quite difficult to accept what other people are doing in his name, supposedly at his behest. Um, it, you, you get what's, what's considered, what's called a cognitive dissonance, right? Uh, suddenly, you're faced with the fact that um, what's going on in the world does not jive with who you know Jesus to be. And when that happens, well, you know, um, that's a problem, isn't it? I would say it's a problem. This might be a good, actually a pretty good shortcut. Too much longer. It's an easier place to get out for sure. Hmm. I think that's all right. Sorry, I, there's a new road that was made that I just just took, and actually it's pretty pretty smooth. No stoplights, just stop signs. And yeah, much easier place to get out. Much safer place to to merge onto this road that I've, I'm always on. So I've been wanting to try it, and I did, and did not take much time at all. Sweet. Sweet, sweet. <clears throat> so, deconstructionism is what is the term we've given to this idea of dismantling your belief system uh, and and trying to discard all the layers of complexity and corruption that have been put on type, put on type of, uh, put on top of Jesus, uh, and trying to get down to the core uh, of the way of the actual way, the way to follow Jesus, the way to be a disciple, uh, and that um, I think is a worthy endeavor, and I think I think people who who are able to deconstruct without throwing out the baby with the bathwater, or the baby being baby Jesus, not a, Christ, not a Christmas reference at all, but it worked out that way. Um, I think those people are going to be happier in the end, uh, and that they are going to be able to uh, more effectively usher in the kingdom to their context. Uh, at least I hope that's the case. Uh, I think so much of religion really any kind of religion, uh, is man-made uh, and has lost its luster. 
And so what what people would accuse deconstructionists of is you know heresy and and going against the Bible and going against Jesus and and all kinds of other things and they're threatened by it because they realize as more and more people deconstruct they are walking out of churches and if they're not in churches their butts are not in the pews and if their butts are not in the pews their wallets are not being opened to the machine and if the wallets are not being opened to the machine, uh, there is a big financial crisis in evangelicalism. Uh, so I'm here in defense of deconstructionism. Uh, if your religion cannot withstand difficult questions, then perhaps you might want to reconsider what you believe. For example, if you believe that Jesus Christ, who was a uh, Jew who came to save the world, but who was also God and created every human being, that somehow today he has chosen the American people as his chosen people, and that Jesus supports everything that America does, her wars, uh, her imperialism, her conquest, uh, you might need to be deconstructed. Uh, if you believe that uh, Jesus, who is God and knows everything, who knew all the sins that we would commit before we ever did them, and who created us nonetheless, knowing that we would sin, and if you want to, if you want to get down to the nitty gritty, he can. He created us to sin, to have the ability to sin. That's what, that's what uh, free will is. And yet he's going to throw, literally, throw people who don't believe in him, who for whatever reason are born in the wrong country or at the right wrong time, or to the wrong parents. Uh, or of the wrong race, that Jesus, if, if they never find him, Jesus is going to throw them into a fiery hell to be tortured for eternity, you might need deconstructionism. You might need to be deconstructed. Yeah, there are a lot of huge questions. Now, if you're an evangelical and you're listening to this right now, you're going to say, well, God is sovereign. God can do whatever he wants. True enough, uh, I, I don't believe God has ever met his equal. There, there is none. There will, ever, will never be any, as far as I know. Uh, there will never never be another creator God. Fair enough. But if what John said is true, God is love, that his very essence is love, and that love is agape, in other words, other-centered love. It's not centered on ourselves. It's not a transactional kind of love. It's a, it's a love that is freely given one way, right? Right? 
from one to another and not expected back and often not received back. If that is God's essence, how can anybody, how can anybody not be touched by his love? If it doesn't matter what they do, and if it's one way, and, the, and God's essence is love, and God has, God, who is love, created the entire universe, shouldn't he be able to love everybody? And what do you do when you love somebody? What does 1 Corinthians 13 tell us? Love is patient. Love is kind. It keeps, it keeps no record of wrongdoings. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Is that how, it's, is that how it says? Love is God. God does not remember our past wrongs. That is who God is. And I've, I've said this before. I believe 1 Corinthians 13 is less a mandate on, mandate on how we should, be, we should behave, but it's more of a revelation of the character of God, the God, as manifested in the person of Jesus as manifested in the eternal Christ who we celebrate celebrate on Christmas um, so man where did I, I kind of lost my train of thought here that was quite the tangent so yeah if, if you have questions about why God would punish uh innocent babies, whether it was God supposedly ordering the uh, genocide of babies who were not born of Jewish families in the Old Testament, or uh, whether it's the fact that if they're not born into a Christian, the right kind of Christian family, that they are going to be in hell for eternity, and somehow that's just, if you've got that question, then you're on the road to deconstructionism you're deconstructing. Uh, if you somehow see a disconnect between the, the way that the church operates today and the way Jesus operated in the Gospels, then you're on your road to deconstruction. No matter, you know, you're on the road. Now, you may or may not go deeply into it. You, you may only go so far, and that's fine. You may not ever want to enter that road. You may uh, just uh, be in denial, and you want to you want to uh, what, take the blue pill. Is that what it is from Matrix? Which one keeps you in the Matrix? I can't remember. Perhaps you just want to remain in the Matrix and, and be uh, blissfully ignorant of the reality uh, that's going on that you know that's fine uh, you figured out your life you you have a routine you get to church every week you pay your tithe uh, you say your prayers and you read your Bible and and you you have 
checked all the right boxes and therefore you have punched your ticket to heaven and now you're just waiting for your flight. Well, that's fine. You know, if you don't want to, if you don't want to do this, whatever. But I will say this, I think that those people are going to have a rude awakening when whatever happens after death shows up. I think they're going to be surprised at the Christ they find. And they will have to uh, pay an account to some extent. Uh, and, and possibly repentance will be on the other side of death, even for those people who think they've checked all the right boxes. Because you're going to have to accept the love of Christ and accept that the love of Christ goes to a lot of people who you don't love. You'll have to accept that on the other side if we think um, what that life is going to be like is indeed that way. I think there'll be there'll be a lot of us who are surprised on who who the Lord has has brought into His kingdom, and I think you probably know my thoughts on that anyway. And just to give you a hint, I'm working on not being surprised at all. Uh, I'm, I'm working on the very, you know, being ready to see the very people who I assumed wouldn't be there. Uh, <clears throat> including myself. Uh, I think had I, had I have rem remained in religion, um, which for a lot of us, it's just a system of, of shame, of sin and shame and, and self-loathing. Uh, and there's still some residual effects of that, no question. I still wish I could overcome certain things in my life that, for whatever reason, I haven't. And it's easy, easy enough for me to look at myself and say, you know, I'm not worthy, I'm I should be ashamed of myself. Uh, I should do better. You know, Jesus, Jesus is, uh, Jesus is so good. He's so beautiful, and I'm not, and I'm ugly, and, and I should be ashamed. You know, there, there are a lot of us that still have this knee-jerk reaction. Uh, but maybe that's one of the reasons I try to do this podcast as well. Uh, I think in my mind, right, in my intellect, uh, if I have such a thing, I believe that Jesus' love really covers all, and it requires nothing in return. Now, that's not how I was programmed, and so there is difficulty in maintaining that, um, maintaining that position all the time. It's quite difficult to do that. But that's where I've, that's where I've come down to, you know, that's, that's where I've landed nonetheless. The gospel is for all, and that is the gospel. The gospel is simple, that Christ's love is unrestricted. It knows no boundaries. It cannot be stopped. question is, can it not be received? And I think, you know, with 
if I believe in free will, which I think is a necessary aspect of creating a universe uh, of love, out of love, I think free will has to exist, then I have to also accept, I think, that there may be people, I can't imagine how or why or who, there may be people who outright reject the love of Christ, who refuse to accept it no matter what, who are that stubborn and that hard, hard-hearted that they refuse to receive uh, love from Christ at all. I think that's possible. Again, I can't imagine it. it seems pretty far-fetched to me that given eternity, um, not being bound by time, that Christ's love would not eventually reach everyone. Because you see, I don't believe that death is a barrier to the love of Christ. And I think that's what Paul said. I think that's the revelation that Paul had. I don't think Paul got it all right. I'm going to say that too. Uh, but one thing he did say was that he thought there was nothing that could separate him from the love of Christ. What was it? Neither height nor depth, uh, nor things in the past or things to come, nor life nor death. Nothing can separate you from the love we have in Christ. Neither life nor death. Paul said it. Now, I don't believe it because Paul said it. I don't believe it because the Bible says it. I believe it because I think that is the best way for me to consider or to accept or or it's it's consistent with the character of who I know Christ to be and who I think Christ, Christ needs to be for the world. It's consistent with that character. <clears throat> and so deconstruct, yes, by all means, please ask the hard questions. And do not be denied. Do not be denied. And if, if somehow you are pushed out of one group because of your questions, find another group and keep asking. Find people who... Uh, you respect and who you think might have a better grasp. Ask those hard questions. Uh, because none of us, none of our beliefs about Jesus or about God or about the cosmos are completely correct. Nobody has the entire truth. And to say that the Bible contains the entire truth is to is to discredit the idea of interpretation. Okay, suppose the Bible does contain all the truth. Whose interpretation do we agree on? Has found all of it. Which interpretation of the Bible? The Bible must be interpreted. Everything is interpreted. Everything. And you interpret it by who you are, your past experiences, your, your, your past um, 
study teaching what you've been taught uh, by other people, right? Uh, by your uh, negative and positive experiences, the, the, the life you've lived, all everything comes together as a lens through which you observe everything, and that includes written word, like the Christian slash Judeo Bible. You interpret it. <clears throat> that's another that's another deconstructionist question. If if the Bible is true, whose interpretation do we believe? Is it the Catholic interpretation? Is it the Orthodox? Is it the Lutheran or the Calvinist? Is it the Pentecostal or the Baptist? Which one? And why do you think that one's right and the others are wrong? What are the specific reasons? What happens more often than not is Christians um, result to cyclical arguments using the Bible to defend itself. Well, the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true. <laughs> right? The Bible says all scripture is, is inspired by God. There you go. The Bible says it's true, therefore it must be true. This is not, this is not, a, this is not an argument that is defensible. Not in the least. Oh, watch this fast. That's good. So, yeah, ask your questions. Please ask your questions. More people need to ask questions. And more of our leaders, our pastors, and our preachers, our elders, they all need to be held accountable for what they've been telling us to believe. They need to be able to defend it. They need to be answering these questions. And they, to, say, to tell you the truth, they need to be asking these questions. They're the ones who should be asking them. And there are a few guys out there who are doing it. Uh, who are, I think, on the edge between uh, institutional religion and deconstructionism. One of them is Brian Zond. Uh, another one is Bradley Jerzak. Uh, still another one, I think, is Greg Boyd. And all these guys, I think, are still involved in one way or another with organized religion. Um, they've not left, but they are asking at least some of these incredibly uh, difficult questions. Uh, and they're allowing people to ask them. Sorry, I need to have a little water. You know, Jesus even said, um, ask. Several places in the New Testament, it talks about keep asking, keep begging, keep, you know, keep it up. Don't give up. <clears throat> when you have questions, when you have needs, don't give up, right? Keep asking. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. But if you don't knock, if you don't seek, if you don't ask then how can you expect to, to receive anything, right? Um, that little, that little 
angel of doubt in you, let's say. Some people would say that's the demon on the, on the left shoulder, as opposed to the angel on the right, but be that as it may, if you want to call him a demon or whatever, when he's asking you to doubt, listen to him a little bit. Say, yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. Why are only men leaders in my church? Why are women not allowed to preach or to teach or to lead? Why is that? It's a really good question. It's a really good question. Uh, and you should research it first because they're going to come back at you with answers. They will have answers, right? Uh, but if you look deep enough uh, in the New Testament, and it doesn't have to be the New Testament, it can, you can, it can just be, you know, intuitive. You will find answers. You will find, you will find some uh, ammunition to to defend the fact that in the kingdom of God. There's not supposed to be any male or female. You know, the fact that there's a woman who's named as an apostle by Paul, nonetheless. So either Paul made a mistake, which is not possible to most people, or Paul's telling the truth. And he says there are are women apostles at the same time he says all women should be silent in the church and women should cover their head. And yet, in just a few passages before that, and we're in 1 Corinthians now, uh, he talks about women prophesying and praying in public. <laughs> there are lots of contradictory things found in the New Testament about such things, but what you can come down to is instead of trying to find ammunition for your position. It's not bad to do that. I, I think sometimes you have to play the game that's that's you know that's been there for a long time, right? That's how people that's how it's done. You know, there, there is ammunition there, but the other part is just knowing who Christ is, right? The Christ that I know uh, would not subjugate women to uh, second-class citizenship, third-class citizenship. That Jesus, the way he lived and the way he spoke to women, he was empowering women. He was he was bringing women closer. In a context where women were kept at arm's length and were not allowed to do certain things in society. Well, I'm going to have to let you guys go. So, basically, I'm telling you, ask your questions. And don't give up. Do not give up. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.